We're beginning a new series today, and I think it will be one of the most important and significant that I've ever taught. And it's going to help you better understand both the nature of your God and his commitment to us, which is incredible. And also help you to better comprehend what he has done for us. People who don't have a revelation of what I'm about to discuss with you today, and I'll be laying the foundation for this series, struggle with doubt and uncertainty about their own personal connection with God. There are people that live in fear that they saved one minute, lost the next. Anybody in this building ever experienced that? Like something start going wrong and oh, what did I do to mess up here? What did I do to displease God, make him unhappy with me as God walked away from me? You know, I was never taught eternal security. I was taught eternal insecurity. Can some of you relate to that? Always one mistake away from being lost. And this is why what I've come to talk to you about is so vital. Because when you live like that and bad things happen in your life and in a broken world, they will. You lose a job or get a flat tire, motor blows up in your car, kid messes up. You know, stress in life comes, sickness, and you start looking to heaven wondering, "Uh uh-oh, God, are you trying to tell me something? And we take things in life that were intended to cause us to know the level of God's commitment to us and we interpret those things incorrectly. You may not realize it, but God literally said to Israel, they were in the wilderness. He said, I brought you into the wilderness to speak peaceful, peaceably to you. I brought you into the wilderness to show you how good I am. Whoa, what a scripture. I want to show you that if there is no rain, I'll still provide for you. If there's no food, I'll still make sure you're fed. I will do miracles for you. Your shoes won't get wear out. Your clothes won't wear out. You'll never get sick. He said that to Israel in the wilderness. They completely misunderstood. And they told Moses, why have you brought us out here? Have you brought us out here to die? Like God isn't in this. And God actually was going to turn this terrible wilderness into a place where he would show the level of his commitment to Israel. They didn't see it that way because they don't understand what I'm about to talk about. Didn't understand what I'm about to talk about right now. You see, God doesn't want you to live with that kind of stress in your life. That kind of uncertainty. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 Our text, therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God. You see that? Mentions God three times. The Lord, your God, not, hey, Mr. Stranger, God up there. The Lord, your God, he is God. He is the ultimate authority. He is the only wise God. And then it goes on to say that he is faithful. He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Father, I pray today that you would help me to hide behind the cross for a little bit where you could come and you could open our hearts to receive and understand what is about to be communicated. Give me 
the articulation to be able to express the truth of your word and all of us here, the spiritual depth of hearing, the ability to hear your voice, to discern what is said and receive it and transform us by it. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, amen. Shout it one more time. Amen. Boy, you look good today. Don't forget Easter's right around the corner. And it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to have our Friday night, Good Friday service. Wow. Well, my subject today is face-to-face. Face-to-face, as opposed to being back-to-back. Face-to-face is a concept that many people do not understand when it comes to relating to God. Our God is a covenant-making God, and I need to explain what I mean. There would have been a time... If I had made that statement, everybody would have understood. And most of us here today assume we do. But I'm not sure that is the case. Usually only a few people understand the significance of covenants in today's world. If you can grasp what I'm about to tell you, it will literally transform your life. J.E. Leonard made this statement. Covenant is probably the least understood yet most important concept in the entire Bible. It is at once the heart and the foundation of man's relationship with God. And that is so true. If you don't understand the nature of covenant or know this about God that is a covenant-making God, it will limit your understanding of three of the most significant things that you could ever learn in your entire lifetime on the surface of this planet. Amen. The first thing it will limit is your knowledge of who God is. And what you're able to comprehend of his divine nature, it's going to be limited. Second thing that will be limited, if you don't understand concepts, is that it will affect your ability to understand this book called the Bible. And your interpretation of it will always be hindered and more shallow than what God wants it to be. He wants this to be a book of revelation. It won't be that. You'll be reading it, just be words on a page. You'll be doing your daily duty to read it. There's a level beyond that. And that's what I hope hope to help you discover. Third thing it will do is it will limit your knowledge of who you are. You know, you. And who you are in God, which is important. Because you were created by him to be something. I say that not knowing the God, that God is a God of covenants will limit your understanding of these three things because it is impossible first to know him intimately unless you know his nature. You can't live with somebody and not know them and call that an intimate relationship. Who was it years ago? Man, that just popped into my mind. There was a country and Western singer. He was blind. Was his name Ronnie Millsap? sang a song called there's a stranger in my house and he's talking about his own companion boy a lot of people live like that they go to church like that too and that affects their understanding of the bible and their interpretation of the bible will always be hindered because they don't understand the nature of the one who wrote it god and his word are inseparable and thirdly it will limit your knowledge of who you are as i said in god And this is what is significant. God says that I am a God that keeps covenant to a thousand generations. Now, that's an Hebraic expression. 
And I don't know that it necessarily means a thousand generations because man, none of us going to live to be that old on this planet anyway. Amen. Thousand generations. If you look up a generation, it's defined as 25 to 35 or 40 years. Using the lower age, 25 years to each generation. God will keep covenant for 25,000 years if you interpret that literally. But what it really means is, as I said, it's an Hebraic expression. And it just means God never quits keeping covenant. Once he makes a covenant, he will never, never I want you to say this word, never break it. He will not break it. He will not break it. That's longer than you will ever live, so you don't need to worry about it. But it also means that God will not only make covenant with you, but that covenant goes on to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and right on down the line. We just had a new addition to our family a little over a week ago, Maddie and Andrew, had their second child, a beautiful little girl. We'll get her dedicated the next time. But my family's growing. The Bible tells us that blessed is the man who has his quiver full of the children or inheritance from the Lord, you know. So blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. I'm getting, I'm getting a full quiver these days. Amen. Amen. That's our fifth great-grandchild. Now, people look at the Bible, and some of them... When they And I've heard people talk like this. You hear this a lot in universities, which is why I made the statement I did a while ago. The Bible is a good book to use to study history. Or it's a record of the nation of Israel. And some say the Bible is actually a book of philosophy that tells us how we should live. Archaeologists use it as a source book for locating ancient Middle Eastern civilizations. And using it to direct where they go to do their archaeological explorations. Now, all of those things are important, but that is not why the Bible was given to us. It's important that all of those things are accurate, and they are. Just a couple of weeks ago, they made the announcement that they have found a a, a little covenant book. It's a small thing. And it was found at Mount Ebal in the altar is where it had come from. From when Joshua had six tribes on Mount Gerizim and six on Mount Ebal, they have found a covenant record that corroborates that that event occurred. And they say it's the most significant spiritual event in terms of archaeology they've ever discovered. Surpasses, they said, the Dead Sea Scrolls in significance. Wow. And you know why that matters to me? Because if the philosophy of the Bible and its history and its stories about Israel and its references to archaeology or civilizations where archaeologists go, if that is correct, then you can trust what the Bible says about spiritual matters to be correct. But make no mistake, God didn't send us this book to give us a philosophy book. Amen. The Bible is primarily a record in history of the covenants that God has made with humanity. And if you don't know that, then you're missing out on what is really interwoven through every single page from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Amen. And it's important because you need to know that you matter to God. And you need to know that he has a plan for your life. 
and that he wants to be in covenant with you. You see, look, you didn't, you were not a batch of chemicals that got struck by lightning and something happened and something wiggled out of this chemical pool and it grew arms and legs and became humanity. That's not how you got here. You got here because God created you and brought you into this world for a specific call and purpose. So the Bible is not a philosophy book, though it contains philosophy. The Bible is a book of the history of the covenants that God has made. And it is the owner's manual for people who want to not waste their time in life, but want to fulfill their destiny. A covenant was an extremely important transaction back in Bible days. The word covenant appears in Hebrew 280 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it appears 33 times in Greek, but it's alluded to in many, many other places. For example, when we talk about the New Testament or the Old Testament, the word testament means covenant. And it's referring to the New and Old Covenants. And what would happen in a covenant is partially understood by the meaning of the word itself because the word covenant literally means the cutting. And it referred to the practice of offering a sacrifice to seal the covenant arrangement and agreement that had been made. The sacrificial animal would be divided into two parts. It would be split right along the backbone. And like in Africa where I often have been, uh, Asia, other places around the world, You'll see these, uh, these little old shops. They're, 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 you could fit probably about 30 of them on this stage. And they're just a little old shop, but they got a slab of beef or a slab from a side of a goat hanging in the window. They would literally split that animal down the middle and they would put half of it here, half of it here. As I'm about to show you in just a moment, a few minutes. And so this would be one half of the animal over here and the other half would be over here and then in between them where they had split the animals apart the ground would be of course saturated with blood and they would walk between the parts and so the word covenant literally referred to the cutting and the persons would walk through on the bloody ground covenants were important because when you were in covenant with someone you pledged to protect and defend each other Covenants covered and protected you. Remember that back in the day, they didn't have armies, standing armies that just were ready to go to war at any moment. Uh, Back in the day, your soldiers before the empires that came along were developed. They were primarily farmers and vineyard dressers and herdsmen and shepherds. And the call for war would go out and they'd gather like they did in Israel. They'd blow the trumpet and here they would come. They'd leave their forming implements and grab a sword and they would show up. There were no police forces. There were no, uh, there were no fire trucks and fire department. There were no ambulances. There, were no, there was no life insurance. And so you had to depend upon people you were in covenant with to keep the area safe and secure. And if you notice that in the world we live in, it's so fragmented right now. Because people have not understood the value of covenants. And you go to get your car filled up with gas. You don't know if you're going to make it home. Some of the crazy things going on. We need, without covenant, there is no safety. 
but they also provided prosperity and accountability. And to show you how highly God placed covenant on the list of priorities, you remember that Israel crossed over into Canaan's land and the Gibeonites lived just across the next hill, but they deceived Israel because they had heard of what God had done. And so they got moldy bread, worn out clothes and sandals with holes in them. And and they showed up and said, we've been traveling, man, for months. We heard you were coming. We want to enter a covenant with you. And Israel under Joshua did not pray. And they said, well, that's a good idea. looks like you're from a long ways off. Your bread's all moldy and your shoes are worn out. And so they entered into covenant. And then lo and behold, they lived just over in the next valley. Now, Israel was deceived. But to show you how God honors covenant, God required Israel to keep that covenant. Even though it had been made in under deceptive practices. God said, you keep it. And you'll read about that later. I don't have time to mention it. The sons of Rizpah died because Saul violated that covenant. It was made you know, in, in, in deceptions and in lies, but God said, you made it, you keep it, because I am a covenant-keeping God. And so there were two types of covenants that existed in the Bible primarily. There were those between man and other men. Like, for example, Abraham in Genesis made a covenant with Abimelech, the Philistine king. And then there was Jacob and Laban that made a covenant. David and Jonathan, you've heard of the covenants they made. And uh, that covenant has often been used for the wrong reasons and interpreted the wrong way. The Bible said that their love for one another was greater than the love of a woman. And people want to interpret that as some kind of a physical thing. It wasn't. Their hearts were knit together. The Bible says that. Their hearts were knit together. And they made a covenant that made them be as though they were one. Because when you entered into a covenant, you became as one. That's what marriage does. Marriage causes you to become one with your companion. Amen. And a lot of people don't know that. They, they get into marriage like, okay, if this one don't work, I'm going to try somebody else out. And how long are you going to give it? Oh, about two or three months. And you know, that, that's not covenant. Amen. There are other covenants between men. NATO, for example, we're hearing a lot about that with this war in the Ukraine. There are trade agreements. These are all covenants. But then the second type of covenant is the covenant with God. God would make covenant with men. And that blows my mind. Of course, there's a higher order of significance attached to the covenants God made because they were made by the Almighty with mere humanity. And the Bible speaks of at least eight of these different covenants that God made with man. The Edenic covenant of Genesis 1 that contains the Genesis mandate. Second, and please bear with me, I'm going to lay this out and build my case. There was the Adamic covenant of Genesis 3. The Noahic covenant of Genesis 8, the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12, 15, and 17. It was the Mosaic covenant of Exodus 19 through 24, the book of Deuteronomy, and Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8 is where that thing occurred about Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And they have just found, as I said, a lead tablet that confirms this. And so then there was the Aaronic covenant of the priesthood. 
And that's found in Numbers 18 and 25. There's a Davidic covenant with King David that that King David would have ancestors to sit on his throne. That's why Jesus was called the son of David. Because he is the Messiah and King of kings and Lord of lords. A descendant of King David through his mother. And then there is the new covenant in Jesus' blood that you read about in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, and in many other places it's referred to. Well, I'll tell you this about covenants. All of us have had experiences with attorneys, right? And we have attorneys in the church, and they will tell you that before you make a major decision that involves other people, and it's financial or something like that, be sure that you have it legally documented and an attorney to guide you. When you buy a house, and we've owned several in the course of the years, man, it seems like there's a stack of paper that tall. You've got to sign every one of them. You know what I mean? Not really that tall. just seems like it. You spend some time there because they want you to know what every single page is because later on, if somebody violates the terms of that agreement, somebody's in trouble because they told you what was in it. And it was considered then, and it's still considered to this day, an egregious act to violate or break one of those covenants. You break the covenant that you made with somebody selling you their house, you know what they're going to do? They're going to take that house away from you. And these animals demonstrated that when they cut them into pieces, what it meant was that if I ever violate the terms of this covenant, May my life be cut apart like this. My family, my possessions, everything I've got, my business, let it be cut apart. And so rather than that happen, these things will remind me that a covenant matters in the eyes of God. You see, God will never break a covenant with you. And I want to say this to you. I'm so glad. That I got beyond that place where I felt like every single day, oh God, save me. Oh God, forgive me. And I don't mean to say that I don't pray that. Every single day I pray this prayer. God, forgive me of every sin, every place I've ever failed you, every wrong I've done, what I shouldn't have done that I did and what I should have done that I didn't do. God, forgive me. I pray that every day. And let me bring you honor and not never shame and glory. I I pray every day, Lord, I want to live my life hid with Christ in God, like Paul said. But you know what? I'm not afraid because I know that God will never walk away from the covenant that he made with me. I'm not here by works of righteousness, which I have done. I could never do enough. It's because he loved me that I'm here. He made a covenant with me. That's why Lamentations 3 and 23 says, great is thy faithfulness. It's referring to the fact God doesn't break covenants. For a thousand generations, when he opens his mouth to bless you, you're going to be blessed. Amen. That's also why God said in Isaiah 49 and 16, that he had inscribed Israel, the terms of his agreement on the palms of his hands. And the word that he used meant to literally engrave. God didn't write it down in ink. 
Because ink can wash off or wear off in time. Y'all remember when you were kids, you'd write on your arms and draw a little stuff. And, and God said, no, I'm not using ink that can wear off. I have written them, engraven them on the palms of my hands. Oh, bless his name. He will never, ever break the terms or forget the terms of his agreement with us. Amen. That, that is so important. Did you ever wonder why Jesus keeps his scars? Because you see, I, I've got a bunch of them and some of you do too. All the surgeries I've had, I'm scarred from one side to another. And you know, when I go to heaven, I won't carry a single one of those scars with me. I'm going to get there. I'm going to have a transformed body. What the old songs say, we'll have a new body. We'll have a new life. Amen. I'm not carrying this old wounded, broken up body with me to heaven. It's going to be transformed. But you know what's going to happen? When I get there and see him, I will see the nail prints in his hands. He did not give up his scars. He kept them as a sign of his commitment to the covenant he has made with us. And they always stored the records of the covenant in a safe place. The case of Moses and the covenant God made on Mount Sinai, they stored it in the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God in the earth, the manifest presence of God. They put him inside. You know what that means? That inside of God, the terms of the covenant remain to this day. And there were three things in the covenant. There was the Ark of the Covenant that were the legal terms. That if you keep them, this is what will happen to you. God will bless you going in, Deuteronomy 28. And there was Aaron's rod that budded. That was authority. And there was the pot of manna, the golden pot of manna. That if you keep the terms of the agreement, you will have divine authority that is above any other. And there will be nothing that can come against you that can prosper. I'm talking to somebody right now. No matter what happens, you have authority to say, devil, that's far enough. Get away. Leave. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over you. I'm a child of God. I am in covenant with him. You cannot stay. Oh, praise God. Praise God. And then there was the golden pot of manna. And what that meant was when you keep the terms of the agreement... You have authority in your life and God will be the one who provides for you. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. And you know, in all these years of living for God, I found out that's true. I've not missed any meals unless I wanted to. I, I, I left a good job to go into ministry. And back in the day, this was a long time ago, they gave you $50 a week and all the potatoes you could eat to be in ministry. That, that, that was true. Amen. That wasn't much money then and isn't, isn't now. But I want to tell you what, God took care of me and my wife and our two kids during that time because I am a covenant partner with God Almighty. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. When you are in covenant with God, God's got your back. God is there defending you, protecting you, and providing for you. Let's take a praise break right now. Somebody give God some praise in this house.
Oh, bless your name. Now, I got to do this very quickly because my time is gone. I hope you'll give me a couple of minutes because we did have a lot of children to dedicate. But there were seven things they would do when they would make a covenant. First, there were the parties that had to come together. And for example, between God and Abraham or David and Jonathan. Then number two, there was a place of the covenant. Because where the covenant was made, it became a sacred place. Mount Sinai became sacred. Mount Moriah, where Abraham went to offer Isaac, became sacred. And when you enter into a covenant with God, you don't forget that either. And I can show you the spot in a little building that still stands in Lake Charles, Louisiana on Kirtman Street, where I got saved one night. It is still there. I will never forget that because God made me his covenant partner that night. Amen. And then there were also the promises the covenant was meant to provide. And I want you to watch this. When Abraham took his son Isaac to, to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice, he said the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Because Isaac asked, where's the sacrifice at, daddy? He said, I see the wood and I see the fire, but I don't see the animal, the offering. I've never seen you go to church without that before, so where's it at? And he lifted his hand to slay his son. The angel caught it. And there was a ram with its horns caught in the thicket. And this is what they, they named, God revealed rather his covenant name that day as being Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You see, until you make covenant, there are some things about God you don't know. You got to hear this. That was the first time that God was ever called Jehovah Jireh. But until you realize you're in covenant with God, there are some things you don't understand about his divine nature. You got to be in covenant with him to be able to see it. Amen. And so we read also that there were the terms and the conditions of the covenant. When you entered into covenant, it meant that you were becoming a brother with the one you were entering into covenant with. And you would protect them and defend them. And they would protect and defend you. And if you ever got on hard times, they would help you. Just like they would their own family. And if they got on hard times, you would help them too. And this was so important back in the day when there was no life insurance and no police department and no armies and things like that. You needed somebody to have your back. And what God was saying is when you enter into covenant with me, don't you worry about it. I got you. Amen. I got you. You may think you're about to fall and crash and burn, but you're not. I got you. I'm there. I'm going to be the one that's going to make up for everything that's missing in your life. And the fifth condition was the duration of the covenant. In the Noahic covenant, God said he had never again destroy the earth with with water, and that covenant still stands today. And God called the new covenant an everlasting covenant. And this is why I tell you that you don't need to live in fear anymore. Stress, uncertainty. Oh God, I wonder if the rapture takes place today, if I'm going to make it or not. And you walk around all stressed out. If you're serving God and living by the terms of the covenant, God's got you. I don't care what the devil's whispering in your ear. The love of God lasts forever. Hallelujah. You may walk away from God. But I want you to know if you do and you break the terms of the covenant, 
Father's still standing on the porch looking down the road and waiting for you to come home. He will not break that covenant on his part. I need somebody. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. Hallelujah. There was the sign of the covenant. With Abraham, it was circumcision. With Noah, it was the rainbow. You know what they would also do? They would exchange coats. And then they would exchange sashes. So you'd give the guy your coat and he would give you his and you'd take your belt off and give it to him. Now I've got a belt on. Most guys in this room probably do, but it's not serving any real purpose other than to just be ornamental. Amen. If I take it off, I'm not going to lose my trousers is my point. Most of you are the same way. Amen. We don't even want to think about that. Lord have mercy. But you know why the belt was important? Why they exchanged belts? It's because that's where they carried their sword. In other words, I'm giving you my coat to cover you. You're giving me your coat to cover me. I'm going to give you my weapon where I can't hurt you. You're going to give me your weapon where you won't hurt me. In other words, I don't have to worry about you cutting my throat or or, or stabbing me in the back. And I want you to know God will never hurt you. God will not work against you. What happened is when Jesus went to the cross, he gave us his coat of righteousness. He took our covering of sin, gave us his righteousness. The covenant of marriage. Jerry and I have been married, it will be 55 years in June. Amen. Thank God for that. I'll tell her, first service, I did this. I said, good for me. I told told the crowd, I'm not going to do that in the second service. I'm going to say it was all you, babe. Amen. All you. Amen. Have we ever talked about divorce? Not one time. Murder? (laughs) Yeah. You can ask her. I told her years ago, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. If you hear footsteps behind you, it's me. Amen. Amen. Why? Because I'm in covenant with her. I laid my weapon down. She laid hers down. We're not going to hurt each other. We're not trying to attack each other. Hallelujah. But then there was the actual dedication of the covenant. And I'm going to close with this. The covenant was made binding by the shedding of blood. The animal would be split down the middle. And the case... Of this passing through the porch, Jeremiah 34, 18 mentions that they would pass through the porch of the sacrifice. And the Jews had a name for that. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's Brit Bin Habatarim. And it meant literally the covenant of passing through the porch. In Genesis 15, 9 through 18, you can read the whole story. But God met Abraham and said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he said, you split those three animals down the middle, but the birds, which were the, the, the cheapest sacrifice that you could offer God, you leave those whole. And poor people so had access maybe not to a ram or, or to a goat. They might only be able to, to, to find a pigeon somewhere. But God said, I'll accept that. 
And so you take these animals and you put one bird here and one here and then the halves of these three animals there and the halves of the three animals over here. Come, Andrew. And I want you to see what they would do. The infinity symbol stands for covenant. See that? It's two circles connected. And this is what would happen. They would begin back to back like this. But you see, when you're back to back with someone, you're pulling the wrong way. You're trying to go in that direction. They're trying to go in this one. I know churches that are filled with members trying to go in that direction when the vision of the church is going that way. Marriages like that. One companion pulling this way, another pulling that way. We live in such a fractured nation right now. And time. Not united anymore. It's divided. Divided along financial lines, economic lines, ethnic lines, all kind of lines, religious lines, and just divided. And so you got, what happens if you keep pulling like this is eventually you're going to tear a relationship apart. So in covenant, this is what you do. You begin your back to back, but you walk at a figure eight twice around the parts of the animals that you're sacrificing. And you do this completely two times. Here's one. And you're walking through the blood and you're saying, I've got your back. But now look what happened. You ended up face to face. You see the point. And you say, I've got your back from now on. We're in this together. You ever need anything, I'm there for you. If I need anything, I'll call you. Whatever is mine is yours and whatever yours is mine. And that's the kind of covenant that God made with us. We were behind God's back pulling the wrong way, but God turned it around for us and entered into covenant with us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give God some praise in this house. He brought us into sonship with him. Then they would make a cut on their hands that I didn't even cover this in the first service. Indigenous or First Nation Americans used to do that. They'd put a cut on their hand when they'd make a covenant. Andrew, come on back up here. I need you to do this too. Amen. And they would clasp hands and they would mingle blood. And they would say, you and I are one now. You and I are one. They would become American Indians, called it blood brothers. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, when he died, they found over 50 covenant scars on his arms that he had made with different tribes in Africa where he swore to carry them the gospel and they would in turn allow him in and they would be covenant brothers. Listen to what I'm telling you. The problem with our broken world is we don't understand covenant anymore. Oh, you're my friend. You know why people think this way? This this Facebook, Instagram thing has redefined what friends are really all about. And I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking any of those social media platforms, though I don't agree with some of their practices often. 
But what I am telling you is don't let them redefine in your mind what a true friend is. Because if you do, you'll transfer that to God. And when they sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. You're going to look at him like one of your Facebook friends. That's not what a friend is. A friend's with you through thick and thin. And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you. Oh, I feel the anointing. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there. Stand with me to your feet if you would. He'll never leave you. And they would also have witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. But when God made the covenant with Abraham, this is what he told Abraham. Listen to this. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently waited, he obtained the promise. I'm talking to somebody that's in line for a blessing right now. Somebody that God wants to open heaven over your life. I want our prayer counselors to come. Thank you for the few extra minutes. Prayer counselors, would you take your places? Amen. While every head is bowed, could I see the hands of those that need to enter into covenant with God? Would you raise your hand? I'm living without it. God bless you and you and you. Keep raising them. You and you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. So many hands going up in this building. God bless you. You, I see you, I see you, I see you in the the risers. God bless you with your hands raised. This side, I see you, sir. Keep raising them. You know what I want you to do? Some of you may have even have walked away from your covenant commitment to God. You think that God's going to hold it against you. You think when you get there, he's going to have turned his back on you. No. The father... In Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. The son turned his back on his dad, but his dad never turned his back on his son. And every day he would spend time on that front porch looking down the road until one day he saw it, saw the boy coming back. And the Bible said he ran to meet him. He didn't stand there and say, okay, you can prove yourself now. He ran to meet him. If you have drifted away from your covenant or you need to renew your covenant or you haven't ever entered into covenant and you've been serving God and it's all about, I got to do right. I got to do right. I'm going to mess up here and make God mad at me. And you live under that fear. And, oh no, I, I got I to go see the doctor. I got something going on. I'm just scared to death that it could be cancer. And I'm afraid that God has allowed that to come because he knows I haven't been living the way that I really need to. Why don't you stop living with that kind of torment? And why don't you make a commitment to God and be in covenant with him and live face to face with God? You've got division in your family. Stop it. You made a covenant in marriage keep it 
I want you to come if you're in any of those categories. I want you to be the first to come, please. You want to renew your covenant with God? You need to make a covenant with God? Come on, that's right. Don't be afraid. You need to move beyond just relationship into true covenant commitment with God? Come on. You don't know the Lord? He's not been your Savior? Come on. And then the rest of us are going to come behind you, but I want you up front. Amen. I want to be able to pray with you. I feel God in this house. Let's give these an applause that are coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Anybody else need a breakthrough? Come on behind them now. Because you've got the right as God's covenant partner to come stand and say, I am in covenant with God. Devil, back off. Breakthrough's coming. Come on. That's right. Amen. We'll wait for you. Somebody bumped up against the highest ceiling that limited where they could go in their job. I just, this is a word I feel in my spirit. You've been bumping up against that. You can't go any higher. Seems like every time you try to break through, you get that. Come on, break it right now. And tell God there is no ceiling with me because I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. I'm breaking through into another dimension of who God is. Another dimension of relationship with him. And now let's pray. Father. I pray for every one of these who are here today. I pray for those who have not entered into covenant. May we now be able to make an informed decision to not just serve you as strangers, but make us your covenant children, your covenant partner. God, you have our back. I'm talking to somebody that's terrified right now of cancer. I know it. And I say to the enemy, enemy, I rebuke you. This is a covenant child of God. Get your hands off of her. Get your hands off of her. In the name of Jesus, get your hands off of her. Hallelujah. Somebody that's worried, stressed out. Let me just see your hand. How many people down here are here because they feel so much stress? It keeps them awake at night. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, stress be gone. You don't have to worry about stress anymore. You're God's covenant partner. You're God's covenant child. He'll take care of it for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God some praise in this place. Somebody ought to give God some worship. You're learning something about God today that's going to change your life. Hallelujah. God's got your back. God's got your back. God's got your back. God's got your back. In your darkest moment, God's got your back. 
I don't care if your parents never showed you love. If you experience rejection, if you've been through failure, God's got your back. God's got your back. God's got your back. God loves you. God is committed to you. God's got your back. God's got your back. God's got your back. I need to say that for somebody. God's got your back. You feel like he forgot about you, but he never did. You feel abandoned and alone, but you're not. God's got your back. And Father, may you open our eyes to see you as you really are. A God that keeps covenant to a thousand generations. I won't say it again. That's a lot longer than you're going to live here. So you ought to just lift up your hands and say thank you. Because for the rest of my life, you've got me covered. You've got me blessed. You speak life over me. You speak health over me. I'll be blessed coming in and going out. And blessed when I sit down and blessed when I stand up. I'll be blessed in the city and I'll be blessed in the field. When I walk in my house, I'm going to be blessed. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name.